Support for At Length with Steve Scher comes from the University of Washington Alumni Association. Welcome to At Length. I'm Steve Scher. This is a show where we take a little more time to dig a little deeper, to let the theories, the thinking, the ideas of a person unfold. Why is it so hard to lose weight? We've been exploring this in our weight and wellness series. The medical community has come to a new understanding of obesity as a disease. Dr. Ellen Schur says that is because new science shows that an overweight person's physiology for regulating body weight and appetite becomes fundamentally altered as we gain weight. As people's weight passes a certain threshold, they're more likely to have uh, both serious diseases and kind of annoying symptoms related to their weight. Uh, so, you know, the worst part of it is that at a certain point, carrying extra weight increases your risk of death. It increases mortality. Um, and, you know, those studies have been controversial, but I think it's pretty clear at this point that people's lives are shortened by it. But beyond that, there's um, sort of annoying things, um, joint pains, uh, heartburn, um, there is, uh, you know, problems with incontinence. There's all sorts of annoying things that reduce quality of life. And then there's the biggies, the diabetes, uh, the heart disease, stroke risk, high blood pressure, um, that are our chronic diseases that we're treating day in and day out in the clinic. Obesity is medically defined through the body mass index, BMI, an indirect measure of how much body fat a person carries. Though Dr. Ellen Schur says it's somewhat arbitrary, and depending on the person, the cutoff for obesity is a BMI of 30. Overweight, 25 to 29. Normal weight, 18 and a half to 20. Dr. Schur is Associate Professor of Medicine in the Division of General Internal Medicine, University of Washington. She's also co-director of the UW's Medicine and Weight Loss Management Program. She's part of the Weight and Wellness Lecture Series, Spring 2015. BMI is your weight in kilograms over your height in meters. So, when to worry? When people are in the overweight category, are they showing signs of changes that affect health? Are the blood sugar starting to rise? Is blood pressure starting to rise? Is the body weight tending to settle in the person's middle rather than in the person's hips or extremities? Any of those factors in combination with the body mass that's in the overweight range puts people at higher risk for various disorders. Losing some weight is recommended for those people as well. I asked her why there is a focus on the weight settling around the gut. It's been pretty clear that people who carry their weight, what's called central obesity or central adiposity in their middle, you might think of it as more of like a male pattern because that's where men tend to put their weights. Yeah, a gut. Um, that is a riskier uh, type of um, fat deposition or distribution than people who carry their weight um, uh, the way you know women tend to, which is more of a pear shape or a around their um, hips, uh, buttocks, or subcutaneous fat. And part of it has to do with the fact that having um, central obesity, or a gut, as you said, um, indicates that you also have more what's called visceral adiposity. So that is body fat that's not only in the tummy 
subcutaneous region, but is also within the abdomen, within the organs and the omentum. And those uh, areas of fat are more indicative of the fact that you're at um, risk for these you know, metabolic diseases like diabetes. So does that mean when women start to show more weight in the gut, that's when they're more likely to have health issues around being overweight as opposed to being in their hips or their extremities? Yes, that is true. Women who have, sometimes they call it apple shape as opposed to pear shape, are at higher risk. I like that you have fruits for the, <laughs> for the names of things. Why is it so easy to gain weight? Well, there's kind of two factors. So um, if you think about it, there are certain people who, by their genetics, it's easier to gain weight than others. So we're all existing in the same somewhat what they call obesogenic environment, which means an environment that promotes weight gain. When you say all of us, you mean all the world or all modern people living in modern cultures? I would call it the Western food environment. So let's call it the U.S. or um, the Western food environment. So we're all living in that, but within that we have a different propensity for weight gain. Much of that is set by people's genes. There's not one obesity gene. It's really a matter of multiple genes inherited together. For instance, if you do twin studies, people who share 100% of the genes, regardless of the environment they're lived in, even if they were raised apart, will be very similar in their body weight. People who are fraternal twins will be much more different in their body shape, body weight. Even though we have an environment that sort of promotes weight gain at this time, your propensity to gain weight is going to vary depending on your genes. So that's sort of the basic part of it. The things that are encouraging, you know, weight gain at this time, you know, there have been every different kind of analysis, but it certainly has to do with the amount of calories that are available in these extremely tasty, highly energetic, high-calorie kinds of foods, the amount of portions people are eating uh, to some degree, the deterioration in their regular physical activity. You know, these factors are going to put different amounts of pressure on different people based on their genes. You said to some degree exercise? Is the food and the calorie a higher risk than lack of exercise? Well, there have been a bunch of analyses that have tried to tease that out. Some of the more prominent ones have come forward and said, it's probably mostly the food that's the problem rather than the activity. Because as our work activity has decreased, we have to some degree increased our leisure activities in response. So that's what the analyses tend to show, um, that they think it's more about the few calories that we're adding than the uh, decrease in particularly the work activity. Would you explain to me why a paradigm, Mm -hmm. obesity is a disease, Mm -hmm. is helpful? to all of us. The reason why obesity as a disease is a helpful paradigm is because it shifts the way we think about what our treatment should be, the way we respond to our patients. As a medical community and really as a society, we have in the past really thought about this as a personal problem. So everyone's weight is kind of their issue, and if they're not dealing with it, they're just, they're not dealing with it. Now with Michael Pollan and some of the others, we're thinking about it on a more broad societal level. 
And as a medical community, it actually shifts the way we think about our treatments. So for instance, when we treat people's high blood pressure, we give them their medications and we anticipate that they will need to stay on their medications for the rest of their lives because we understand that their physiology is fundamentally altered in a way that will not resolve. And that is the new understanding of obesity as a disease. The physiology of the way their body weight and appetite is regulated is fundamentally altered. And so we have to think of it as uh, not something that somebody can you know, do a better job of and get rid of, right? Uh, you know, if only they had some willpower, this is going to go away. We don't tell that to our patients about their high blood pressure. You know, if you had more willpower, you wouldn't need this medicine for your high blood pressure. Same thing with the, the treatments, whether they're diet treatments or medications, and people stop those treatments, they gain weight back. You know, as a medical community, as individuals, we feel very disappointed in ourselves or, you know, the doctors are always like, you know, they say they're hardly eating anything, but I know they must be, you know, going after the chips or whatever it is. So to hear that, I think, goes against everything we've learned about the fact that not only is obesity disease, but it's a chronic disease. It is likely to relapse when treatments, meaning dietary treatments, activity, uh, or medications are stopped. And, you know, we have to help people deal with it for their whole lives. We have to make permanent changes uh, to uh, either lifestyle habits or use medications chronically. What's happening in the body that makes it so hard to lose weight Mm -hmm. and so easy to gain weight? What, What are the metabolic changes that you're talking about? Yeah. So as people put on weight, particularly that weight that goes around the middle, um, there are uh, hormones and processes that become less effective. So many of us have heard of something called insulin resistance. Uh, So insulin resistance is the fundamental process behind um, type 2 diabetes, which is the kind of diabetes that goes along with obesity and carrying extra weight. Insulin is a very important hormone for managing blood glucose and helping our whole body take up glucose to use it for all the cellular processes that have to happen to you know, keep our body functioning. But it's also a hormone that helps to regulate body weight and appetite. And there are other hormones released from fat cells, for instance, that need to travel to the brain to um, provide feedback about our current state of energy stores and um, our current uh, nutrition. So some of those hormones, like insulin and like a hormone leptin that's produced by fat tissues, become ineffective in obesity. So they are no longer able to fundamentally do this feedback that tends to suppress appetite and tends to raise metabolism in order to keep body weight stable. You know, some of that is not known. Despite all of the research on diabetes and fundamental mechanisms of it, the actual instigating factor behind insulin resistance is not entirely known. There are changes that happen at the molecular level with the receptors. Um, In terms of feedback to the brain, there may be changes at, at the level at which the hormones reach the brain. You know, there are uh, folks 
looking at whether, um, for instance, Bruce, Bruce Blumberg, who you interviewed, looking at whether uh, resistance uh, is fundamentally altered even during the maternal fetal interactions that happen. So for all of these hormone uh, hormonal responses, our body kind of sets the gain on the system. So if you're very sensitive, a small amount of the hormone is effective at reducing your appetite and keeping your body weight in check. And as that becomes less effective, you need more and more and more of these hormones um, to manage uh, blood glucose uh, as well as appetite and body weight. Um, I, I think you used this phrase. How does the body distinguish between a healthy body weight and a higher body weight? Are you saying that after a while the body doesn't make that distinction? That's pretty much exactly what I'm saying. And that's a process that we fundamentally don't necessarily understand. So in obesity, the body comes to defend the unhealthy body weight. So you take a person who's at a normal weight and you have them lose weight. Well, we can all fundamentally understand why the body would resist that, right? Because we, uh, we need energy stores to survive and our energy stores start providing feedback to the brain saying, you know, you had better get out there find some decent food, not only find some decent food, find some high calorie food, because we are losing the energy we need to survive. So hunger is stimulated, our attention for food in our environment is stimulated, our, uh, we might become upset, think about food a lot more, we might be willing to do a lot more for food. You know, when you think about a normal weight person who is not getting enough calories, it's pretty obvious why all those things would happen. What people haven't come to understand um, is that the same processes happen when people are at an unhealthy weight. So your body may be at a weight that's unhealthy for you, but as you lose weight, those same signals start telling your brain, uh-oh, you know, we're losing energy stores here. This is getting serious. There might be plenty of fat, but the brain is not seeing that. It's getting a different signal. And so that response to weight loss happens regardless of what the person's initial body weight is. Some people talk about that as like resetting your set point, um, which I think is a reasonable way of talking about it. I mean, another phrase we might use is that, the, that for, for reasons that are yet unknown, the body comes to defend that higher body weight. So if we try to withstand that voice, we're dieting, mm -hmm. saying, I'm losing weight, I'm going to distract myself with mm -hmm. walking and water and television and activity, mm -hmm. what does the body start doing? The answer to that is twofold. Not only does the body resist weight loss, the body to some degree does resist weight gain. And what you'll see if you overfeed animals uh, and overfeed um, people in an experiment once you stop doing that, they'll actually eat less for a while, and some or most of that weight will come off. So we know that the body works in both directions. So the answer to your question is, there are some people who have been overfeeding themselves for a long period of time. And when they stop doing that, some weight will come off pretty readily, and they'll go down a bit before their body kind of kicks in and says, hey, I'm worried about this. For other people who are at a point where they're dieting and losing weight and they're starting to get those hunger feelings and some of that other stuff, that may be a sign that the body is starting to resist weight loss. 
So it is certainly possible to get through that. It's less about dieting and putting yourself in that position than making lifelong changes that take weight off more slowly over time um, and don't engage that system as strongly. You're giving it more time to reset again? That might be part of what's happened. I don't think that's proven, um, but it might be part of what's happening. It's also indicated by the fact that, you know, we think of this as a long-term problem. And so the solutions have to be ones that can be maintained long-term. When people are making drastic changes to the point where, you know, they've got to think about food all the time and, you know, they're really hungry, um, they have engaged that system to stimulate hunger and likely they've also slowed their metabolism. And it actually gets kind of harder to manage your weight at that point. Part of the, the goal is to not engage that system that sh- as strongly. When people get engaged in Weight Watchers or something where they're really, they're really immersed in that, following that and tracking that, at some point the, it gets harder. As they're losing more weight, it gets harder for them to keep losing that weight. That's why people relapse. Essentially, that's the case. So what happens uh, as part of this response is um, not only can hunger be stimulated, but uh, metabolism slows. And to some degree, it slows disproportionately. Someone who has lost weight, their metabolism will be lower. So say they've lost weight to 150 pounds from 170 pounds. Their metabolism will be lower than a person who was just 150 pounds and never lost weight to get there. Donna Ryan, who's uh, from the Pennington and uh, uh, has been involved in a lot of uh, large studies, coined a phrase, the metabolic handicap. So once you have uh, a person has been weight reduced, they will tend to run a lower metabolism than someone of the same age, height, and weight who's never lost weight. And that's part of what tends to drive people up. Because, you know, it's hard to just, you can't eat less and less forever, right? You also, you know, there's just a certain amount of food that people are exposed to and need to eat to, you know, feel full enough to kind of get through the day. And when you're below that, it becomes very hard to maintain that long term. So the body doesn't want to give up the weight it gained. The brain is saying, you know, that's probably a good idea that we have this weight. It makes weight loss very difficult, doesn't it? The trouble that people get into is they're like, well, you know, if it's going to be that hard, why should I do anything to begin with, right? But the reality is it actually doesn't take very much weight loss to have a big effect on people's health. So when people are thinking, I'm going to lose 100 pounds, I'm going to lose 50 pounds, the reality is most of those people only need to lose 10 to 20 pounds in order to have large benefits for their health. And fewer of these compensatory mechanisms are engaged at that level, or they're engaged at a level that's mm, less robust or weaker. Um, And so maintaining those smaller weight losses over time becomes much easier and much more reasonable. And you get a very good benefit for your health. What's the time frame you're thinking of? So, for instance, in a long-term study, like something like the Diabetes Prevention Program, those people lost 7% of their weight initially, and uh, they went through something called an intensive behavioral treatment program. Many of them did regain weight, but they've been followed out for 15 years. After three years, they had a 50% reduction in their chance of getting diabetes, even though they had regained and they were now at more like 4% of their 
body weight loss. 15 years later, they've regained a little bit, but they still have maintained some weight loss from the folks who never did any program like that to lose weight. And uh, they still have about 20% less diabetes than the people who never underwent the weight loss. So there's two lessons from that. It may be the behaviors themselves that are having the benefit. So the people who are maintaining even a small amount of weight loss over time, they've made fundamental changes to the, what they're eating. Um, they've made fundamental changes to how active they are. And those are the things that are helping. The other lesson is that it just doesn't take large weight losses. Either the behaviors or just a small weight loss is enough to have a benefit for your health. Dr. Ellen Schur is Associate Professor of Medicine in the Division of General Internal Medicine, University of Washington. She's also co-director of the UW's Weight Loss Management Program. She's part of the UW's Weight and Wellness Lecture Series, Spring 2015. If you want to hear the other conversations we've had from the Weight and Wellness Series, search for At Length with Steve Scher. You can find us on iTunes, you can find us on Stitcher, and you can also find us by searching for At Length with Steve Scher. It'll show up on the UW's Alumni Association homepage and the Graduate School's homepage. Thank you for listening. We'll talk to you again. Support for At Length with Steve Scher comes from the University of Washington Alumni Association. Mm-hmm.